as we rejoice in keeping God's Feast of Tabernacles, what's so exciting is to know that Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and be our very king. Today I would like to address the subject of the government of God. During the past year, that particular topic among the people of God, not necessarily in the living church of God, but among God's people who are scattered in other fellowships, has been a very, very important topic. I'm going to address the topic from a perspective of the bigger picture, but also to bring in, I think, and hope that will help you to understand the Bible addresses different aspects of government. Now, when I say that, what I'm referring to is that the first thing the Bible reveals to us in the big picture is the form of government. The second area, which is separate, which the Bible addresses, but they tie together, is how God's form of government is administered. And a third area, which again is often addressed separately in the Scripture, but it does tie in to the bigger picture of both the form and the administration, is the attitude in which those who have authority and responsibility should carry out that authority. And so it's the attitude of government. The Bible addresses very clearly all three areas. Now, when is government necessary? Is government necessary and function when everyone is in agreement? Or does government function and become important when there is disagreement? I think all of us can understand that if we all agree and we're focused Government does not become a major focus. It becomes a focus when there's change or when leadership is necessary or if there is disagreement. So I'd like to start with the really big picture, which is often forgotten when people address this subject in our present society. I don't think it's forgotten in the living church of God, but I would like to remind you of it, brethren. When we look at the subject of government and we look at time, and we go back into all eternity, what form of government existed? The answer to that is very simple. God Almighty governed, that he was in charge. And when we read in the Scripture, it says, in the beginning, God was in charge. And so we can go back, And none of us can actually, you know, uh, comprehend the concept of eternity. But for eternity, God's government, with God in charge, a hierarchical form of government, was the only form of government. And if we look from this present time to the future, in fact, what we celebrate, what we pray for daily, if we follow the instructions of Jesus Christ Thy kingdom come, we pray for that government. And that government, brethren, for all eternity is going to be God is in charge. Now, when you put it in that light and you look at the the big picture, it really helps to understand what we should be doing in the church of God and among God's people at this present time. 
If we don't look at that and we focus only on the present, today's problems, the trials and difficulties that we go through in this society, then we may have a different perspective. But that should not be our perspective. God's revealed to us through his word an understanding that he is our creator, that he existed eternally. And he also has revealed to us that we're going to be a part of his family and we're going to be a part of what he does as he rules and governs the universe. And when we look at that perspective, the issue of government, at least in its form, becomes very clear. Now, I'd like to point out to you in the Bible, in relationship to that, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 13, and in verse 1, that all authority, God has not relinquished his authority. He's not off on vacation during this past 6,000 years. God's in charge. And as members of the church of God and the body of Christ, we know that. In the book of Romans, it makes this point very clearly. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every soul be subject to the government authorities. Now, it's not talking about in the church of God. He's talking about in society. When you think about it, during this period of history, the Jewish people, and particularly those in God's church, often suffered persecution. And when they suffered persecution, it was from the authorities in many, many cases. And yet God still told them, and through the Apostle Paul, that they should submit themselves. Now, why? For there is no authority except from God. All authority is under God's domain. It says, going on, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, I don't know to what extent Paul meant that God intervened in this present world to appoint, but it's very clear God delegated or gave to mankind the door to govern himself, and God's allowed that. But those authorities exist because God has allowed it, and it was his purpose and his will. It goes on to say, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And as we live in our present society, whether it's here in the United States or if you're in Europe or other parts of the world, there are times when those who govern and the civil responsibilities of our nation or our country, they may not do so righteously, nor may they do it with wisdom. But God's given them that opportunity. And the Bible makes it very clear that we look not to them first, but to God. And so we should then show respect. And we should understand that we should submit ourselves. Now, if there's a conflict between obedience to God and obedience to man, the Bible clearly addresses that. That's made very plain that we ought to obey God. But so many times, rather than there's not a conflict, many of the things that are principles in God's word in terms of day-to-day life are also good for society. And so God goes on here through the pen of the Apostle Paul 
It says, do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. That's something really lacking in our society is the fear of authority. But God tells us that we should have a fear, even in terms of this present world. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only for wrath, but for conscience' sake. It's interesting because Paul tells us our relationship, even in this present world, to authority has to do with the Christian conscience. And that's especially true within our fellowship and in the body of Christ. So the ultimate authority is of God. There is no power but of God. As I mentioned before, God throughout time has been in charge. He's clearly used a form of government where he himself, God, rules. It's a hierarchical form, or we use the term from the top down. Now, when God created man and he put together the family structure, did God place authority into that structure? Well, let's notice, going back to the book of Genesis, something I'd like to point out before I directly address the question I asked is what God himself did in his relationship with Adam. Because God created Adam, and God could have literally taken charge. It was just... You know, at this point, Jesus Christ, the creator, the word, the logos, who is communicating to Adam. But God didn't choose to do that. He actually, as you read here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19, says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. So Jesus Christ, as we'll see a little later in terms of how God administers government, he didn't take it upon himself to say, well, Adam, this is a bird, and and this is a, you know, a bluebird or a robin. No, he allowed Adam. He delegated to him. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds, of the air, and to every beast of the field. And then it goes on to reveal that there was no helper found for Adam. And God created the woman. And when God created woman to be his helpmate, the Bible also clearly reveals to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that God placed structure or authority within that unit. And that's the basic unit that God established, which is the family. God himself is creating a family. And so the very first family that was established, God made it clear in that family, which is also important, brother, we understand what he's doing within his family, clear lines of understanding of responsibility or authority. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
The Apostle Paul writes, and I'd like to start in verse 1 because it's a very important statement that he makes. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He said to follow him as he followed Christ. That we look, in this case, Paul was given the responsibility as an apostle of God. And he was a leader. And he had no shame. In fact, God inspired him to point the brethren to follow his example. But they were to follow, as we are to follow, the example of those who lead us as they follow Christ. He goes on to say, brethren, to the brethren, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And so Paul not only taught them and sought to imitate the example of Jesus Christ in his life, he also taught them traditions that he had received that were part of the church of God in his time. And he made it very clear, which is inspired again by God, that the brethren should strive to keep those traditions. And we have done so in the living church of God, whether it's in the format of our services or in other areas and how we conduct ourselves and the things we do that we were given as a pattern by the ministry of Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. He goes on then to say in verse 3, because these things do tie together, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So God makes it very plain. When he created the structure of Adam and Eve in a family unit, that God is in charge, Jesus Christ looks to his father, and the husband or a man, they should look then to Christ, and the woman is subject to her husband, that he is her head. Now, that has a great deal of responsibility. It means that he becomes a leader within his family, not only to his wife, but then also to his children. And in the scripture, which I'll not turn to, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, that children are to obey their parents. And so that structure extends from God all the way down, if you look at the scripture, to a young child where God tells that child, you obey your parents. So the form of government is very clear in the scripture. Now, When God established that form of government, he did so initially through the family. In fact, the promises we receive are through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was through the patriarchs of that family that God literally passes to us the promises given to Abraham. When God brought Israel out of Egypt... God placed Moses in the position of the responsibility of leadership. And I'd like to, at this point, introduce the second area, because it was through Moses, and we'll come back to the issue of form, because that's also still a topic I'd like to address a little further. But under Moses' leadership, we find that Moses' initial approach was to take the responsibility very seriously, and he took it upon himself to try to do the job. 
And this is covered in the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 18. And trying to lead and be a judge to the people of Israel, we find in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13, so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. And I suspect there was probably a line even as the sun was going down. And I'm not sure how they, you know, probably reestablished themselves in the morning. I don't, you know, today we would probably take a number and, and get back in line. Well, this took place and, and it was consuming all of Moses' time. Moses' father-in-law, verse 14, saw that he did what he did for the people. He says, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning unto evening? Now, Moses had a very good reason. He said, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. That's a very good thing. But Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Now, what wasn't good about it? Well, the, the situation was Moses had taken a huge responsibility to himself, and in reality, the job was not going to get done in the manner in which it should. And so we find that he was given counsel, which God inspired to be recorded and given to us as an example. In verse 19, his father-in-law said to him, I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that they may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. It's interesting that Jethro understood that there was a work that was being accomplished by God's people even at this time. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, haters of covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, notice it's plural, not one hundred, but hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And what's interesting is he gave him instruction to set up and delegate responsibility that literally would reach right down into the community and to the level where the first person involved would actually probably personally know those individuals. It's one of the aspects of the governments of this world that is often lacking, where there is a, a line, in a sense, that reaches from the top all the way down to the community level. And it's interesting in God's church and how it's formed and structured that that same thing transpires that the responsibility of each pastor and elder and those who serve the brethren, they get to know them. And so in God's government, in terms, and this was within the nation, that it reached all the way down to that level. 
Now, at that level, it means that there's not only knowledge of the problem, but there's also a knowledge, perhaps, of the background and understanding of how it may have developed and the people and personalities involved. And so it's a completely different perspective. It's one that reaches right to the heart of a situation at its beginning. Now, it's clear here, as you read, that there may be times when there may be a difficult matter, or it could be a matter also that would affect not just that one situation, but that situation could become a precedent. And so it's clear that those involved understood their authority, the limits and the impact that they would have and decisions made. And so they had a responsibility also that if a, diff- a matter came and it was difficult, then they were not to make that judgment. They were to pass it on. And if it was such, perhaps of difficulty or it would set a precedent, it would even be brought then to Moses. Verse 22, it says, let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you. But every small matter they themselves shall judge. Now, it's clear that with the different levels involved, that at times it may only go up one or two steps. Maybe the one who was captain of tens would take it to the individual that he worked with and they worked together. Or perhaps it may have gone by judgment. And so there's an awareness here. There's an awareness of I have a responsibility, but there's also awareness that responsibility has responsibility not just to ourselves, but also to our entire nation, to all of our people. That's very, very important. It's important we understand that. It's important we recognize rather than that kind of administration. Now, in the nation of Israel, as God had given Moses leadership, we know that he passed that leadership on until a turning point took place in the history of the nation of Israel, which is covered in the book of 1 Samuel. It's 1 Samuel chapter 8. This situation took place because it was a real issue. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, because Samuel was one whom God had appointed as judge over the people of Israel. It came to pass when Samuel was old, verse 1 of chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, goes on to name the second. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. See, God had established certain qualifications. And these young men departed from those guidelines. That was not in their heart. It was not their focus. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And when someone perverts justice, there are victims and people hurt. And the attitude is, something has to be done. Well, this happened within Israel. 
tells us in verse 4, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, and they said to him, Look, you are old, your sons do not walk in your ways, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And what's interesting is what God records, it says the thing displeased Samuel when they said. It indicates Samuel may have well been aware of the conduct of his two sons. And he may have already had in mind perhaps a solution, or maybe he was praying and crying out to God, what should I do? And so it doesn't say he was displeased or angry because they brought a report that had to do with his children. What displeased him is when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, it's interesting, at this particular time, kings were the sort of rule of the day. That was the form of government of the nations that surrounded them. And it was very clear, as you read on through the Scripture, that that is where they were looking. They were looking to the nations and the kind of government and what was going on within their neighbors and their surrounding area. Now, God made it very plain what was happening to Samuel. In verse 7, chapter 8, the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Notice what he said. They have not rejected you. God understood, and he made it plain to Samuel what was taking place. He says, They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And you know, brethren, there are times when we have to wait on God. There are situations where we cannot take things into our own hands, but we have to cry out to God, ask for his intervention, and trust him. We, many years ago, went through a period of time when There literally was individuals who took the church off track. And I think all of us, certainly those who, excuse me, were faithful and looking to God's leadership, we cried out to God and asked him to bring about a solution. I think at first in my own heart, I thought that solution would happen internally within the organization. But it became very clear after a period of time That was not taking place. But at the very same time, God made it clear what he was doing, and he provided leadership that God's people could follow. But it's very important for us to understand how God viewed in this situation what took place. Now, many people, when they read this, they, they basically take the approach that God doesn't want a king. Well, is that true? What is the title of Jesus Christ? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. God himself. <coughs> he is king. King of all. And so is the title and the office of a king... But God objected to, no. 
And if someone takes the scripture and twists it in that way, that's what they're doing. They're twisting God's word. That's not what it says. The problem was they did not look to God. That God would resolve the problem. And he would provide the leadership. You know, it's interesting. I often hear an accusation brought against in the living church of God, Mr. Meredith, that he set himself up to be in charge. I looked at my own life and looked back first with the ministry of Mr. Armstrong. If you, as an individual, were a part of the Worldwide Church of God, under his ministry, did Mr. Armstrong set himself up to be in charge? You know, the actual history is that Mr. Armstrong, as God worked in his life back in the 30s, realized that he should keep God's Sabbath, he should keep God's holy days, and he began to understand certain aspects of prophecies that even those he associated with did not understand. Mr. Armstrong was faithful to serve the brethren that he pastored in Eugene, Oregon. And it was a very small group of people. God inspired him because he had opportunity to begin to do a work. And he realized both from the opportunity and the scripture the importance of doing that. And so he moved to Pasadena. Many of the brethren in Eugene continued to support him. Some they found that difficult. But even in the very early 50s, the Radio Church of God, as it was then uh, titled, had about 100 to 150 people. Mr. Armstrong was their pastor. And it was from that responsibility of carrying out the duties of a minister to shepherd that the church grew. When I became a part, my family first attended, Mr. Armstrong was the pastor. And the title that Mr. Armstrong used was Pastor General. Now, we go forward to more recent history and the establishment of, first, the global church of God. Mr. Meredith was in a position where he was not in agreement. He did not rebel, but he was called in and that discussion led to his being fired. And the primary reason, brother, was he was asked to step down from being a minister of Jesus Christ. And that's a calling. There are reasons a person can disqualify themselves, but being faithful is not one of them. And Mr. Meredith, in striving to be faithful to God's word, was dismissed. Now, what did he do? Did he declare himself and put himself in charge of a church that at that point in time did not exist? No, he began to serve the brethren that he knew that he had been serving, who looked to his leadership as a minister of Jesus Christ. And during that period of, you might say, transition, there was a Sabbath or two when he and his wife stayed home. Then, in the very last Sabbath of 1992, there were 19 brethren who gathered at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Meredith. And they had their first Sabbath service. During that period of time, the global church of God was established 
Mr. Don Davis was very much involved in assisting Mr. Meredith. On the first Sabbath in January of 1993, they were not in the home of Mr. Meredith. They met in a hall found, I think, in a condo association, like a recreation hall, and 42 attended on that occasion. That was the beginning. And what was Mr. Meredith doing? He was serving as a shepherd, as a minister of Jesus Christ to the brethren that God had called to be a part and to look to his leadership as a minister. When I became a part of the global church of God, it was because of the fruits. It was because of what God was doing through the ministry of those who joined with Mr. Meredith and the leadership of Mr. Meredith. And brethren, when we put those two in perspective, when we look at what literally happened, we realize how erroneous and how false such charges really are. Sometimes it's very helpful to look at the bigger picture and the foundation. And people who say those things are not looking at what truly happened. They're looking at today and what they think and how they judge. When we look at the facts, we look at reality. We also see then how God works. God worked in my lifetime at this point in time in leadership through two men who by their fruits led God's people. Yes, they have responsibility, and God has placed them in charge under Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And when you look in the New Testament, you begin to follow the examples, you realize, brethren, God's ministers understood the responsibilities they had. And they carried them out, whether it's in the book of Acts, where they realized that Judas was not a part of the twelve, And yet Jesus Christ had told them and made it very plain to them that they would have the responsibility of being judges over the 12 tribes of Israel in the kingdom of God. They knew that there was a vacancy. They didn't ask God to help them because that's what they did. When they looked at God's leadership, they they went through a, a process of trying to understand who should have that responsibility. And they came down to two individuals. And they realized they could not make that decision. And so they didn't vote. They didn't have a ballot. They looked to God. And as the scripture says, they cast lots. And brethren, casting lots was not a vote. It was actually a way of looking directly to God and asking him to make plain what God would do. And when you read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, in terms of administration, they were trying to carry out an administration. They understood they could not do all that they had responsibility to carry out. They did not look to others to take that away from them. What they did, brethren, is they delegated, just as God had given direction to Moses to to delegate. But that did not take away from them the responsibility of decision. They made the decision. And deacons were ordained in the church of God. And it's very clear from the scripture, God poured his spirit out upon those men. And they served God in a very powerful way. 
You see the same pattern throughout the New Testament. So God does not change. That's one of the scriptures that is very plain in the Bible. I change not. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. God's people may live at different times through human history, and there have been different forms of government. In the time of Samuel, the popular form of government were kings. In our present time, a popular form of government is a representative government. Whether it's a democracy or other forms of government where people are literally placed in office by popular vote. That is not God's form of government. Nor is it God's form of government for us to decide what we want. God's government is that God is in charge. And Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And that Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit and through leadership, will provide leaders for his people. Now, one of the things that's also very important to understand is that with leadership or with authority comes responsibility. And how an individual carries out an office is very important to God. It's very clear in the very beginning, as you read and as we read earlier in the book of Exodus, that God looked for certain qualities. These were individuals that God made plain that they were able men. They were able to carry out the responsibility. That they feared God. And then they were men of character. They were men of truth. They hated, not that they were just covetous or were not covetous, they hated covetousness. They understood how it undermined and how it hurt and the damage that it brought. It says these individuals, these men of character, place such over them to be rulers. It's important we understand that because... One reason I'm addressing this subject during the feast is that we're here to be qualified to be kings. And if we're going to have rulership and responsibility in God's government, brethren, it's very important how we carry out the responsibility we have today. I mentioned earlier that it's very clear in the Scripture when God created a family, he placed leadership and authority within that family structure. But knowing that, it becomes very important to every father, every dad, every husband to realize that a very important area of responsibility you have is in your own home. And how you lead and how you govern and what you do is important to your qualifying for God's kingdom. The same thing is true in terms of a wife. If God blesses that family with children, how they lead and how they train and how they prepare the children. It's not just an issue of control. God's not and has not established authority within his church, brethren, for the issue of control. It's one of preparing us for God's kingdom. And as parents, we have responsibility to prepare our children for their adult life and for the responsibilities that lie ahead of them. 
We live in a society where so many people don't want to accept responsibility. They want freedom, but they don't want responsibility. God's form of government places responsibility on the shoulders of everyone. First, to be responsible for our personal conduct, but then we have responsibility toward others. The third area of what the Scripture says regarding government has to do with its attitude and how we approach it. And it's very clear in the Scripture that that attitude is to be one of service. Notice in Matthew chapter 20, that when Jesus Christ said this, he did not reject the concept of kings. I've actually heard people twist this scripture and, and try to say that Christ was saying that that's not how we should govern. No, what Christ brought out is how a king should conduct himself. Here in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 21, he said to them, because it leads in, it gives us a background here to the uh, what transpired. And he said to her, that is to the mother of Zebedee's sons, what do you wish? She said to him, and this is a very worldly and carnal attitude, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. That's, I'm sure, every mother's wish is that her children would succeed and be very successful. And Christ answered, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Now, it's interesting how Christ answered. He said, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And these men did die as martyrs. They gave their life in God's service. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. Notice that. Jesus Christ made it very clear, that is not mine to give. He understood that was not his responsibility, or did he have such authority? But it is for those that whom it is prepared by my Father. You know, Christ is under authority. That is the authority of his Father. Now, this situation caused the other ten of the disciples of Christ to be very upset with these two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Now, Christ wasn't talking about who would be king or who would have authority. What he's saying is if you desire to reach your potential, then you serve. You be a giver. 
You reach out not for yourself, but for the good of others. So what Christ was describing here was the attitude in which an individual has responsibility. And you know, brethren, when you look in God's word, we all have responsibility. Even children have responsibility to obey their parents. A wife to be submissive to her husband, to obey him, but also then to provide leadership and to be a mother to her children. Any father, any husband has been given responsibility by God. But with that responsibility, God also makes it very plain how we are to carry it out. It's not about control. It's about service. It's about providing leadership. It's about having an attitude that we put first those whom we serve, not ourselves. So the Scripture addresses three areas. And it addresses them very, very clearly. One is the structure of authority. That God has established a a chain of responsibility. The second, brethren, is how you administer. There's a kind of administration. And it's an administration which designing is designed to serve, not to have power and to lord it over others, but, brethren, the very concept of doing that is that you reach out through others to help serve because you cannot do it by yourself. You employ the assistance, the help of others to carry out the responsibility you have. And that's true even at the very lower levels. You know, if you are a father, there are times that you may not be able to teach everything that might be beneficial to your son, his talents or his abilities. Because there's a husband and wife that contributed to his gene pool, they may be somewhat different than yours. Well, then you have a responsibility to help him in terms of guidance and direction. And it's a biblical principle that you seek the counsel and the help of others. You don't just take it to yourself and take the attitude, I'm in charge, and that's the end of the matter. No, that's not the approach that God teaches us. As has been emphasized in the Living Church of God, we have a responsibility to be servant leaders. And that's true in our home. It's true in our workplace. It's true in every aspect of our life. And the foundation of servant leadership, brethren, is that we serve to the best interest of those whom we serve above ourselves. Now, one other aspect of what the Bible gives us counsel to do is that because we take responsibility seriously, we seek the counsel of others. That there's a approach of seeking a multitude of counsel. And that's actually brought out very clearly in the Scripture. I'm not going to turn, in this case, to the passages, but it's in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. And in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22, it speaks of a multitude of counselors. And that's a part of both how authority is administered, but it's also a part of the attitude. That the attitude is not just, I'm in charge. It's rather, I have an important responsibility, and God has shown me how I should carry it out. Now, with that, then, is that of sharing or delegating. 
that you realize that not only do I have responsibility to carry out the job, part of my job is to prepare others, is to help them to grow. And in doing that, we share responsibility. And that's true and needs to be true at every level where we exercise God's government. That's what God is doing. God is preparing us for his family. He's preparing us to be kings and priests. And we're going to be a part of serving in his kingdom, especially, brethren, during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. What is Christ doing? He's going to prepare, at that time, all of mankind that is alive. Because the truth is simply going to encompass the earth. He's going to be preparing man to be a part of the family of God. Now, if we're doing that today, whether it's in our home, with our children, or in our family, or if we're doing that and striving to do that in our relationship to our brethren, then we're taking important steps in qualifying and training for God's kingdom. If we don't see that and we don't understand the function of God's government, both its structure, how it's to be administered, and then its attitude and its purposes, then we're not using the opportunity that we have that God has given to us in his church. You know, government is a very important topic. Most people kind of, they sort of, they, they, I think especially, not so much in the living church of God, but even then occasionally, I see people kind of bristle a little bit at that. But to me, it's because they don't understand the scope of what we're talking about. It's not just being in charge, and it's not just about a form. Rather, the, the subject of government and leadership extends literally to every aspect of what God is doing. Because God is preparing us for his family. And it is a family relationship that the Bible reveals to us. That God is our Father. That Jesus Christ actually reveals to us he is and calls us brethren. Now, because he does that, we understand the relationship he desires. But don't allow that statement, brethren, to do, to draw you away from the fact also the responsibility and authority of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As he told his disciples, he said, you call me Lord and Master, you say well, for so I am. But God reveals to us that as a father, he loves his children. Christ reveals to us that he loves us as brethren, that he would lay down his life for each of us. And yet, that does not take away from the authority that he has. It does not take away, brethren, from the form of government that God has put in place. It's all a part of it. And if we understand that, and we understand how this subject reaches into every aspect of what happens within a church and how it affects our lives, then we understand how and why it's so important. Because it's not just about who's in charge. That's not just and the only issue that the Bible reveals. The Bible reveals to us the structure that functions and will function forever. God reveals to us how God administers. There are other aspects of this I haven't covered, 
And when you get into administration, there's certain scriptures that point out certain things that would help us to understand, well, this is what God did or how God's servants carried out certain duties and how they work together. And then God very clearly reveals to us the attitude and the responsibilities that come with leadership or authority. Now, if you take any of those scriptures that address individually one area and try to apply it, you're misapplying it. And that, unfortunately, is what has happened in recent years within and among people who keep God's Sabbath, who keep his holy days, who have a good understanding of God's greater purpose for mankind. It's it's very important that we have a clear picture, a clear understanding. Now, I'd also like to address the issue, brethren, will perfect government solve all problems? Think about that. There's a very clear answer in the Bible to that question. See, when God was in charge prior to the creation and the giving of life to Adam and Eve, that was God's government. Was there rebellion under the leadership and the government, the loving and kind government of God Almighty? The answer to that is yes. Satan, lifted up by his own vanity, he wanted literally to elevate himself. He wanted to be with God, governing And he rebelled. The Bible reveals that he then, in his deception, led, as the Scripture says, one-third of the angels of God. Perfect government does not resolve all issues. We pray, thy kingdom come. We want God's government. But it's important for us to understand, brethren, that Absolutely perfect government does not necessarily take away the freedom that God has given to us. What it has given to us is also a responsibility. Now, we live in a time when those who lead us are not perfect. Mr. Armstrong was not perfect. Mr. Meredith is not perfect. And those whom God may provide in the future or has provided even before Mr. Armstrong to lead God's people... They were human beings. And if we look only to the weaknesses of those whom God has given, we will find fault. But if we look to God and we look to the good fruits that they produce, then we know that God is working in their life. And they as individuals are in the same struggle that we are, and that is to grow, to overcome, to prepare ourselves, and to qualify for the responsibilities and opportunities God has given us in his kingdom. When we have that perspective, we understand that we're here together striving for the same goal. That's brought out in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 13, The Apostle Paul wrote here to the Hebrew brethren, he says, Remember those who rule over you, 
who have spoken the word of God to you. It's interesting what he brings out here. Those who have spoken or who brought God's truth to them. And of course, in the book of Matthew, it clearly says to us that we're to judge by their fruits. It's not that we blindly follow. That's not what God asks of us. God asks of us to be very clear and that we make a judgment, but we do it based on fruits. We do it understanding what is important. It says going on, whose faith follow. That you actually follow their leadership and example in their faith. Considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, what are they striving to do? Verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. We understand we have responsibility. And so we're together. We're working together. We're striving together for God's kingdom. Now, in the context of these statements, I'd also like to point out to you, because it's something we often use, in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, right after he says, remember those who rule over you, is in that context the scripture says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is in the context of the structure of what God is doing. In this particular case, it's in the New Testament. It's in the body of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the rock or the cornerstone of that body. So it's very clear in the Bible the kind of government that God has established. And for eternity prior to this present time of the 6,000 years, There's only one form of government. And brethren, in the return of Jesus Christ, the very time that we celebrate the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there's one form of government. After we go through that period of time and the 100 years, and then God himself establishes a new heaven, a new earth, and he brings his government, there's one form of government. Why would anyone ever think that for this little short period of a few hundred years or a few thousand years, that God's going to change. When you put it in that light, it's almost ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It's very clear in the Scripture what God wants, and it's important, brethren, we understand the importance of it. Now, it's also very important that you understand that the Bible addresses all three areas. And that if you really and truly are working and striving to qualify for God's kingdom, it's not just in the area, well, I'm in charge or I have responsibility. It's that you carry it out, that you strive to administer that responsibility in a godly pattern. That you strive, when you have opportunity, to delegate, to help and elevate and to train and work with others. And it's also very important you understand that God reveals to us the attitude of the form of service that we should have. And whether it's in our home, whether it's in the church of God, 
whether it's within the church itself in terms of the ministries trying to serve God's people and do his work with the support of the brethren, in all of those areas that we strive to imitate and to follow the instruction that's given to us in God's word. It's so important, brother, that we do that because as we yield ourselves to God's leadership, one of the things the Bible reveals to us, and it says very plainly in the, the manner in which it's stated, and this is a song that was sung by God's servants, to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It says, you are worthy. This is Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know, we're a part of a church that was established by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And it has not died out. And when this time comes, among the people of God, are going to, we're going to represent every tribe, every tongue, every people and nation of mankind and have made us. Now, what does it mean, made us? Well, God has put together, brethren, a pattern of instruction through his commandments, through his laws, if we obey them, and through the structure, both in the ministry of the church and also an understanding, brethren, of the family unit and of individual responsibilities, that if we follow that instruction, we submit ourselves and we look to God, that we are being made kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Which it tells us and reveals to us, which is so very inspiring in the book of Daniel, because God is he's preparing us to be his children, to be a part of the very ruling family. In the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, says, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. It's very important we understand this topic, the subject, the doctrine of government. It is a biblical doctrine. It is a teaching, because that's what the word means, of the word of God. And brethren, it's so important we fully understand it because it's how we should live, how we should walk. It's how we are preparing for God's kingdom. 